Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. According to the Apostle Paul, you have been blessed. The half has not been told. What he really says is that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That means that everything you need to grow to spiritual maturity, and for that matter, to serve the Lord, you have been given. Now, a lot of those blessings that have been given to us have been given to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what I've done is start this short series on the Holy Spirit. And I've mentioned some of the blessings that we have because of him. For starters, we have new life. As a matter of fact, according to the Bible, we who have trusted Christ have the very nature of God. We're partakers of the divine nature. Then we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He moves in and takes up residence within us. Then he seals us until the day when Jesus Christ comes back. We're told in Ephesians 4, don't grieve him because he sealed us until the day of redemption, meaning the redemption of the body. One of those spiritual blessings is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whereby the Holy Spirit places us in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now, all of that is just the beginning. One theologian has said that there are 33 different things that happen to us the moment we trust Christ. And a lot of those have to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let me focus on another blessing we have because we have trusted Christ and received the Holy Spirit. The next item I'd like to talk about are the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift. For example, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the same Spirit to another the workers of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all of these things distributed to each one individually 
as he wills. Notice verse 11. The Holy Spirit has distributed to each individual believer as he chooses one of the spiritual gifts that I've just rattled off or some others that are mentioned in other passages of Scripture. So, these gifts are given so that we might profit others, which Paul teaches in this passage. So, uh, everybody has received a spiritual gift, not just a few, everybody. We sometimes tend to think of some outstanding speaker and think of him as a gifted uh, individual, and that may be true, but that sort of sometimes shades the fact that every believer has a spiritual gift. Verse 11 says, But to one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It couldn't be plainer that all have received a spiritual gift. And, as I mentioned, this is so we may profit others. This is for their profit. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So, very simply, what this passage is teaching, especially in verses 7 and 11, is that every believer in Jesus Christ has received a spiritual gift. And the purpose of that gift is so that you might be of benefit to somebody else, so that you might profit someone else. One author has said, the power of vision is not for the benefit of the eye, but for the whole person. Interesting. You have an eye, but that's not for the benefit of the eye. It's for the benefit of the whole body and ultimately so that you can do for other people. Now, the question is, what are these gifts? If there are gifts, what are they? And beyond that, uh, what does each of them mean? What's the definition of each of these gifts? So what I'd like to do is um, give you the list of uh, all the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament, and then I'd like to go through each of them and very simply and quickly define them. Now, this is sort of like taking off in an airplane, and we're going to get the overview so we're going to fly over Encino, Tarzana, Reseda, and I'm going to show you the limits of all those subdivisions of Los Angeles. And then we're going to land the plane at your house. So it is your job to figure out which one of these is yours. And maybe, I'm not certain of this, but maybe it's possible for you to have more than one. I'm not absolutely certain of that, but I suspect that's true. But this I know for certain. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you have one of the spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. You ready? 
Let's start with that flyover. Now, I have passed out in the bulletin a, an insert that lists the four passages in the New Testament where the gifts are mentioned. It's in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, and Ephesians 4, verse 11. Those four passages list the gifts, and I've given them to you in that little handout. Got it? Now, if you count all of those listed, you will come up with 29 gifts. But if you look at them carefully, you will notice that there is duplication. So if you take out the duplication, the list is reduced to 18 gifts. Isn't this exciting? I have a sermon with 18 points. I figure we'll get out somewhere around Wednesday. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go through these very quickly. I just want you to note the whole list. That's the overview. Now, before we look at each one individually, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. This is still part of that flyover I mentioned a minute ago. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want you to look at verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I'm in 2 Peter, all right? 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift, notice again, everybody's got one. That's mentioned in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and here again. As each one has received the gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manif uh, manifest grace of God. In other words, this is a manifestation of God's grace. One of his graces, one of his gifts to us is a spiritual gift that we can use to help other people. So he says, if anyone speaks, verse 11, let him speak as the oracles of God. Oracles of God is simply another reference to the word of God. So he says some of these gifts are speaking gifts. Now, if you have a speaking gift, make sure that you are speaking according to the scripture. Then he says, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, what I want you to notice in verse 11 is that Peter divides all the spiritual gifts into two categories. He says if you have a speaking gift, then make sure you're speaking the word of God. Do it according to what the scripture teaches. On the other hand, you may have a ministering gift. So according to this passage, there are two kinds of gifts. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. In the serving gifts, you don't have to say anything. You just do something. So if you look at that list I've given you, you could just glance through it and quickly figure out 
that some of the gifts demand speaking and others of the gifts do not. For example, the speaking gifts would include, look at your list, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, teacher, the word of wisdom, and the word of knowledge, exhortation, and evangelism. Then if you look at that list, you can see that other gifts are serving gifts. They would include such things as the gift of administration, giving, you wouldn't have to say anything, just write the check, mercy, serving, helps, perhaps we could add to that list faith and discernment. Now, you say, but there were, you said there were 18, and you said there are two categories, and they don't add up to 18. You are very observant. You are right. So there must be a third category of gifts. This is the flyover. We've passed Encino. We've looked at Tarzana. We've left out Reseda. Where is that third group? And the answer is, it's in Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus told them to preach the gospel. Then he says this, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up servants. They will drink anything deadly. It will be by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now notice in verse 17, Mark chapter 16, verse 17, he says, all these signs. Now, there's some other passages related to this, but uh, rather than go through all this because we don't have all the time, let me just say this is the third group. In my little illustration, this is Reseda. This, these are the sign gifts that are given. They would include things like miracles, speaking in tongues, and healing. So, these are the sign gifts. Paul uh, calls miracles and healings spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. All right, now we've got the overview. How many, the, there, how many gifts are there? 18. Ooh, good. So you can divide those 18 into three groups, and the three groups are? Speaking, serving, sign conveniently alliterated. Perfect for a sermon. All right, we've reduced these 18 points to three. Whee! We're making progress. You're going to get out in time for lunch. All right, let's look at these three groups of gifts. And I'm going to start with the sign gifts. And what I'm going to do is simply uh, define them. In, in each of the 18, we don't have a lot of time to 
look at each one in detail, but we don't really need to because you just really need to get a feel for what each one is. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you how to figure out which one you got. Would that be interesting? All right, let's keep going. All right, the first one is the gift of miracles. It is defined as the spiritual gift of miracles is the spirit-given ability to perform miracles. Hello. What are miracles? Well, if you take Mark 16 as the text, it would be taking up serpents, drinking deadly poison, and elsewhere you might add raising the dead. Would those classify as miracles? And you're sitting there thinking, and I don't have those gifts. I am not going to test to see if I do. I'm not going to take up a snake, and I'm not going to drink poison. But if you did, and you had the miracle, no harm would come to you, according to Jesus in Mark 16. I think the gift of healing could be placed in here. If that's the case, the gift of miracles would be bigger than just healing. So it includes other things. Um, it might include casting out demons. So, but you might list casting out demons under healing, which is a separate gift. So I'm not sure about that. I just threw it out as a possibility. No less than John Calvin suggested that in Acts chapter 13, uh, a man was smitten with blindness. And he lists that as a Exercise of the gift of miracles. Thought that was a good point. All right, got miracles down? It's doing what? Working a miracle. Got that one? Let's talk about the gift of healing. This really is tough. The definition is the spiritual gift of healing is the special supernatural ability to perform miraculous healing of disease. Hello. That wasn't tough at all. How about the gift of tongues? The definition would be the spiritual gift of tongues is the special supernatural ability to speak in a known human language that is unknown to the speaker. Now there's a debate about this. Some say it's just strictly a human language and others say it's a heavenly language. Uh, in my opinion, it's a known language. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, that's the meaning of the Greek word tongues. It never means anything other than that. And yes, there's a verse that says the tongues of men and angels. But every time an angel spoke in the Bible, he spoke a human language. So I don't think that can prove there's something other than a human language. Furthermore, there's only one passage in all of the Bible that defines what a language of the tongues are, it's Acts chapter 2, and it lists 17 human languages. When Paul gives the purpose of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, he quotes Isaiah, and in Isaiah, the tongue was a language of the Babylonians. So in my opinion, the tongues is a foreign language. Now, uh, all I'm doing at this point is hovering in my helicopter over Reseda. And we've got the sign gifts, miracles, healing, uh, that kind of stuff. The, the sign gifts. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the signs of an apostle. Apparently the apostles could do all of these supernatural miracles. And those were called signs. 
Now, this is a debated subject, and I concede that. But after studying the New Testament rather diligently, and this subject in particular a number of years ago, I came to the conclusion that there is at least evidence that the sign gifts have ceased. One of the passages, and there are several, that indicate that is Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken by the apostles proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those that heard him? God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Now, if we unwrap that passage we find this. It says, the Lord spoke the message. Number two, some heard the message from the Lord, the apostles. Number three, some heard the message from those who heard the Lord. Second generation. So we've got the Lord, those who heard him, and those who heard, those who heard him. I'm calling that the second generation. Now, this passage says God gave one of those groups the signs. So the question is, which of these groups, the apostles or the second generation, got the signs? And this gets a little technical, and I don't have time to go into all of the details, but the answer is, it is clear that the, that the signs were given to the apostles and that the second generation didn't get the signs, they got the apostles. So the word was confirmed to the second generation by the apostles who worked signs to confirm the word. And by the way, in Mark 16 and Acts 2, those sign gifts are called confirming signs. So that sort of indicates that those sign gifts ceased with the passing of the apostles. And by the way, I mentioned a minute ago, they were the signs of the apostles. If everybody did them, how would you know who an apostle is? Does it make sense? So I think there are indications that the sign gifts cease. So the point of Hebrews chapter 2 is that God confirmed the message to us by them, not to us by miraculous signs, but to us by those who did the supernatural things. So... Uh, they were not given to us. Now let me just take one illustration. I said that one of the uh, sign gifts was miracles, and healing was another. Well, if you just are carefully look at the New Testament, you will see that even by the end of the New Testament, they didn't have that gift anymore. For example, in 60 AD, Paul healed people on the Isle of Malta. It's in Acts chapter 28. But a few years later, in 62 AD, he wrote that Epaphroditus was sick almost unto death in Philippians chapter 2. Well, why didn't he heal him at the very beginning? Apparently he did later. All right, in 63 AD, Paul told Timothy... No longer drink only water, but a little wine for the stomach's sake, for your frequent infirmities. 
Well, now, why didn't Paul heal him? You say, Paul wasn't there. Yeah, but earlier in his ministry, he sent people a handkerchief. He didn't send Timothy a handkerchief. He sent him a letter, told him to take some medicine. What happened to the gift of healing at that point? Uh, and we could go on and on. At the end of his life, he said he left somebody at Miletus sick. That's in 2 Timothy 4.20. That's the last book he wrote. And in the last book he wrote, he said, I couldn't heal the guy. I had to leave him sick. So there is evidence and indication that the sign gifts ceased. Now, uh, how do we confirm the message today? If I want to confirm to you I'm preaching the word of God, what do I do? I quote the book. This is our confirmation. And if you won't hear it, there's nothing else I can do for you. Matter of fact, Jesus said, while he was still living, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Remember that? But my favorite is this. In Luke 16, he told the parable of the rich, and it was not a parable, it was a story, of the rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus is in hell and says, send my brothers. Remember? Boy, that was a big mistake. Uh, all right, the rich man is in hell. And he says to Lazarus, uh, to Abraham actually, if you would send a brother, they wouldn't come here. You know what he says? They won't believe the scripture. They wouldn't believe if somebody raised them from the dead. So if you're not going to believe the scripture, then signs aren't going to do you any good. Now, all I'm suggesting is the sign gifts have ceased. That leaves us receded. We come back to Tarzana. All right? We're in Tarzana. We're going to talk about the speaking gifts next. There is the gift of apostle, which apparently is the special ability to do the miraculous gifts and probably others. There is the spiritual gift of prophet. According to Numbers 12.6, the gift of prophet is the special spiritual ability given by the Holy Spirit to receive direct revelation from the Lord. Write this down. That's Numbers 12, verse 6. You have to get direct revelation from the Lord to be a prophet. That direct revelation may not necessarily be predictive. It's just direct revelation. It could be pertinent to something that's happening in the present. It doesn't have to be prophecy proper. It could be something else, but it is direct revelation. Now, Many have come to the conclusion, virtually all denominations have concluded, there are a few exceptions, that the gift of apostle doesn't exist today. For one thing, Paul says you have to have seen the risen Lord to be an apostle. Furthermore, Ephesians 2.20 says that the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. If each century is a floor in a building, we're on the 21st floor. And the foundation is where the apostles were, not on the 21st floor. So I think there are no gifts of apostles and prophets today. All right? Uh, besides, the focus of Scripture is not on signs, but on spiritual maturity. 
It's not on miracles, it's on maturity. That's important. Uh, so the question is, should you be seeking miracles or should you be seeking spiritual maturity? I think churches who are talking all the time about miracles and then people claim they see some, I don't doubt but what the Lord can heal people, by the way. I, 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 my problem is with faith healers. It's not with healing. Uh, God can heal anybody he wants to. I just think the gift is gone. If you had the gift, you could go to the hospital, empty a few beds. But God heals people. So I'm not saying God doesn't work miracles. I'm just saying that's not the focus of the New Testament. It's the focus in the ministry of Christ. And then it sort of fades away as you get into the book of Acts and you get into the epistles. And what does God want us to do? Become spiritually mature. That ought to be the focus. Now, what do you need for that? Well, you need a bunch of things, but one is you need speaking gifts. So Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the gift of pastor-teacher. That's the ability of shepherding people and teaching them. It's two abilities put together. Now, you can have the gift of teacher without the gift of pastor-teacher. Teacher is listed by itself in Romans chapter 12. In Ephesians 4, it's connected with pastor-teacher. So, teaching is simply the ability to teach the Word of God. Now, uh, what, is a pro what is the definition of a prophet? He gets direct revelation. A teacher doesn't have that awesome opportunity. He has to go study. So a teacher teaches information from the scriptures that he gets by studying the scripture. I have the gift of teacher. Would you say? Yes. Amen. You think? Thank God. I want the gift of prophet. <laughs> it would save me a lot of time. <laughs> All right. So the gift of teacher is you have to study. Now, there is a word of wisdom that is a speaking gift. Word, by the way, in that case means the ability to speak. Uh, so it's a speaking gift. It the word word refers to speech or discourse. So it's the ability to speak wisdom. Now, I think that there are some speakers. I've heard only one or two in my lifetime that I thought had this gift. But they had a special, supernaturally, spirit-given ability to give wise, practical insight based on the scripture. I've, I've listened to a few and I've marveled at their insight into the word. Or there is the spiritual gift of the word of knowledge. Again, this is a speaking gift. The term word means discourse. So it's the discourse of knowledge. Uh, so there is this ability to study the word and maybe systematize it. Uh, some have suggested that this is the gift of being a theologian or a scholar, that you have the ability not just to teach the word, but to dig into the word and really systematize it. Then there's the gift, the speaking gift of exhortation, which is the natural, I mean, supernatural special ability given by the Holy Spirit to well, it says exhort, but that same Greek word means encourage. Have you ever known a speaker that encouraged you? 
that they weren't so much a teacher as they were an encourager. That's the gift. Or you don't have to have it publicly. You could do it privately. I think I've known some individuals. I get around them, and they just encourage me. You know anybody like that? There's a gift like that. And then there's the gift of evangelism. Well, I guess that's the gift of being able to proclaim the gospel. And it is that. But in Ephesians 4, it's listed as one of the gifts that equips the saints. So I think that the gift of evangelism at least includes the ability to equip saints to do the work of evangelism. So those are the speaking gifts. All right, did you get all that? Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, teacher, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the gift of exhortation, and the gift of evangelism. If you have one of these gifts, what you need to do is stir it up. Stir it up. Now here's the problem with having a speaking gift, and I speak from experience. The problem with having a speaking gift is you depend on the gift. You have the gift of gab, so to speak in this case, a spiritual gift of gab. And so you just rely on your natural spiritual ability. And that's a problem. Because Paul says, stir it up, which means if you have one of the speaking gifts, you need to work at it. It takes effort, unless, of course, you have the gift of prophecy, which I don't think exists today. But anyway, you need to work at the speaking gift. You can be trained to be a better speaker. All right. That takes Tarzana. What have we got left? Encino? What have we seen so far? Sign gifts? Speaking gift? Have, have I gotten your gift yet? How many, of you, how many of you have the gift of knowledge? A word of knowledge. Gift of wisdom? Who would dare raise their hand? <laughs> I have the gift of wisdom. <laughs> All right. I would love to have about 10 people in this congregation have the gift of evangelism. Wouldn't that be great? All right. We've got one category left, the gift called serving gifts. There is the gift of faith the special supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to enable believers to just believe God for extraordinary things. The one outstanding example in all of church history is George Mueller, who ran an orphanage and trusted God to bring in all that it took to take care of those orphans. Another serving gift is the gift of the discernment of spirits. The Bible says a lot about this. That just because somebody's speaking doesn't necessarily mean they're speaking energized by the Spirit, or they could be energized by some other Spirit. And sometimes it's hard to tell. So there is a gift of discernment, so that some people just have the knack to know that's not biblical, and they are gifted at doing it. Uh, years ago, there was an ad on TV where somebody had the discernment to tell the difference between butter and margarine. Well, the gift of discernment is they can tell the difference between butter and margarine. That's the gift. Oh, this one's interesting. How about the gift of giving? May your tribe increase, every pastor says. The gift of giving. And Paul says if you have that gift, do it with liberality. 
That is uh, the ability to give money. By the way, I'm joking about it, but I'm serious. I never really got the full impact of giving until I got around somebody that I think had the gift. And one of the things I learned is, I used to think, in order to have that gift, you've got to have a lot of money. And this guy didn't have a lot of money. But he gave money away. And it blew me away. He had the gift of giving. And he did it very quietly. Most people didn't know what he was doing. But I was in his inner circle and figured it out. And the guy had this enormous ministry of just walking around and slipping people some money who needed it had the gift of giving. There's the gift of leading, which is the gift of administration. You know, um, matter of fact, the Greek word translated leading means to put before, to set over, to preside, to rule, to govern, and it seems to indicate that it's the public leading. If you want to know somebody that has this gift, it's Joan. you just ought to watch that lady operate. She's in charge of children in this church, and she has the gift of administration oozing through her pores. She, she has that gift like crazy. Then there is the gift of mercy, which is the special supernatural ability given to believers by the Holy Spirit to minister to the sick. Uh, as giving relates to the poor, So the gift of mercy is showing uh, mercy to those who are sick. And Paul says, do it with cheerfulness. My wife is not here this morning. She's at a conference speaking. But um, if I can tell this, I've often said my wife has the gift of encouragement, and I think she does. I don't think I've ever told her this, but lately I've decided her primary gift is the gift of mercy. Uh, She has an enormous capacity to be merciful to those who are hurting. That is her gift. So if you've ever hurt and been the object of her ministry, you know what I'm talking about. There's the spiritual gift of ministry. Now, the word ministry in the New Testament is a general term uh, that can be used of all ministries or serving And it's also used in the narrow sense of doing something for the needy. And because of the context that appears in Romans 12, it's probably, and that's probably what Paul has in mind, so that there are people that are just needy, not necessarily physically, that might be the gift of giving, but maybe also emotionally. They are needy, and you're able to minister to them. Ah, I left this one for last. The gift of helps. You just help. Now let me tell you, every church needs a trainload of those people. Just help. Like we set up the Lord's table, we need help. We have lunch every day, we need help. We need people who take that on as their ministry. Now, I think it's helping in general, but it could refer to various kinds of relief, like helping widows, orphans, the sick, and strangers. So that speaking gifts, like teaching, are directed to the inner needs, and the gift of helps is more aimed at the outward physical 
needs. Um, many, many, many years ago, um, I, my best friend uh, passed away suddenly, left a widow. And um, she was left with a house and a car and all kinds of things. And she just needed help. And I remember very well saying to another friend of mine, the Bible teaches that we need to help the widows. Now, let's go. We've got to get over to her house. She has car trouble, and you have the gift of help. So we drove over, and she lifted the hood, and my friend uh, looked at the hood. And I remember thinking, Dick, she's not that bad looking. I mean, yeah, he didn't pay any attention to her, just looked, the, looked at the motor, and he fixed it and later married her. <laughs> so, go minister to the widows. Now, whew, that was as fast as an airplane flight. Did you get it? Here's what I want you to remember. You have a gift, and there are three categories. Got them? Yep. Sign gifts, speaking gifts, and serving gifts. Did you figure out which one you had? All right, well, I want to talk about that for a minute, so I'm not done. Um, you see, I think that uh, you ought not worry about which one you got. And let me explain why. This is very, very important. For every gift, there is a corresponding duty. Now, have you noticed the way I've defined these gifts? The special ability. I've said that repeatedly, deliberately. Paul labors the fact in 1 Corinthians 12, the passage we started with, that they're all given by the Holy Spirit. And they're special abilities. That's the point of the gift. It's not a natural talent. It's a special ability given by the Holy Spirit. But if you look at the list, especially of the serving gifts, for every serving special ability, there's a corresponding responsibility. For example, there's a gift of giving well, then we just have to figure out the three people in the congregation who have the gift of giving, and the rest of us go do our gift and let the people who have the gift of giving do all the giving. Right? Wrong. Or there is the gift of uh, mercy. So we just let those people who have the gift of mercy do all the showing of mercy, and we'll go do our gift. Right? Wrong. Wrong. Or here's one. How about the gift of exhortation? Did you know that Hebrews chapter 10 says that we are to exhort one another daily? So we're all to exhort and give and show mercy and help. And so here's my bottom line. Don't worry about what gift you have. Well, what should you worry about? The whole list. That's why I passed it out. Look at those serving gifts. 
That's your homework. Look at the serving gifts. That's what you are to do, to serve the Lord, to grow. Now, let me go one step further. If you do that, if you start doing your responsibility, one of these days you're going to discover your special ability. There are three things that will happen. Number one, one of those things you're going to particularly enjoy. The second thing is, you're going to be good at it. And three is, third is, other people are going to recognize you have that ability. When I became a Christian, I got so excited about the gospel. I thought there were only two people in the world that understood the gospel, me and the man who led me to Christ. And it was our responsibility to tell everybody in the world, and I am not kidding. That's exactly the way I felt. So my great passion in life was to be an evangelist. But I was also impressed with the fact that this man who led me to Christ, a pastor, was a Bible teacher, and I really wanted to start to be able to teach the Bible. And I was torn between the two. So I found out I had to go to seminary and to get in all the ministry and all this kind of stuff. So I went to college, then I went to seminary, and I became an evangelist. And I was so excited. Finally, after eight years, I became an evangelist. Terrific! I no sooner became an evangelist, and I started preaching, and people would say to me, you're a teacher. I said, no, 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 I'm an evangelist. I said, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're a teacher. I say, but look, people are getting saved when I pre- I know, I know, but you're really a teacher. It used to irritate the fool out of me. I want to be an evangelist. People kept saying to me, you're a teacher. So finally, after three or four years of being an evangelist, I got an opportunity to teach at, at a seminary, and just to satisfy people, I went and taught for a semester. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. Uh, the most profound question a student ever asked is, Prof, is this going to be on the exam? <laughs> so I went back to evangelism. And then I was invited to teach again. So I went back and taught for a while. Didn't like it at all. And then I decided, you know what? I was 39 years old before I decided that I had the gift of teaching. Maybe, I mean, I've had some very successful evangelistic meetings back in those days. Maybe I have that gift too, I don't know. But this I know. I finally said, Lord, I think I have the gift of teaching. And I really love people. So maybe what, maybe what I should do is be a pastor, you think? Now my point is, suppose I had waited to figure out my gift I wouldn't have served the Lord until I was 39 years old. But what I did was I did them all. And I really, I really love teaching people, not students. People sitting in a pew, not students sitting at a desk. I just want to tell you what the scripture says. So, wow, I love evangelism. I talk to people every chance I get. Love it. Enjoy some of the other ministries, but I'm stuck. My gift is teaching. (laughs) 
But my point is not me, it's you. Just go do everything. And maybe by the time you hit 39, you'll figure out what your gift is. In the meantime, don't worry about it. In the meantime, go serve the Lord in every conceivable way. Even if you're gifted, go perfect your gift. Stir it up, Paul says. Stir it up. Perfect it. Michelangelo was a gifted sculpturist. By the time he was 14, that was evident. And he became the student of a professional. That man had been the student of the greatest sculpturist of the time. So Michelangelo started working for this teacher. And he was wise enough to realize, the teacher, that gifted people are often tempted to coast rather than grow. But he kept the pressure on the young prodigy so that he would uh, take his work seriously. One day, he came to the studio to find Michelangelo toying with a piece of sculpture far beneath his ability. The teacher grabbed the hammer, stomped across the room, and smashed it into pieces. Turning to Michelangelo, he said, Talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. So even if you have a gift that was given to you, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Dedicate yourself to serving the Lord every way you possibly can. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the blessings and the gifts that you've given to us. And Lord, we confess that too often we waste our time and waste our talent instead of using them to the best advantage for you and your work. May the Spirit of God minister to us in this regard. In Jesus' name, amen.